0: Hey everybody, welcome to the Patty G Show. I'm your host, Patty G. We are back for what I think is a very exciting episode. We have another fellow accountant, CPA, financier in the house, Mr. John Roberts of Attract Accounting and Solutions. I'm excited to hear his story, how he got to where he is today, and everything, you know, all finance and accounting worth. So I'm, you know, we're going to geek out a little bit, sorry in advance, but it is what it is. But before we get to that, I want to give a big, wonderful shout-out and thank you to the amazing folks that bring you this show each and every week. Building 5, Mimosa Handcrafted Jewelry, Falaya Real Estate, Lakeman's Health Center, Horizon Financial Group, Gage, Mercedes-Benz of Baton Rouge, and, you know, our outfit of the day is always brought to you by McClavey Limited. Without further ado, Mr. John, how are you, man? I'm Welcome great. To the show.
1: Patty G, happy to be here.
0: I'm excited to have you on, man. A fellow, you know, accountant to accountant. This is exciting.
1: Yeah, I think uh, folks would be hard-pressed to find, you know, more personality between two accountants than the two of us. So I think it's going to be good.
0: Well, so <laughs> this is perfect because I was just speaking at the Dunham School for the LCPA, and one of the students asked that. Que- it was a question that was posed, like, you know, how what are the personalities like of accountants and CPAs? Because the basic overall understanding is that we're all like, you know, like very hush-hush, quiet, reserved. We don't have any personality, you know? Like there's nothing to us, just pocket protectors and a 10-key. Definitely. And I'm glad we can dispel that myth.
1: You know? Yeah, agreed, agreed. You know, I'd say that the good ones have at least a little personality, right? Right. So, yeah, we'll see. So, so let the audience be the, be the uh, judge.
0: Who are you, man, and what the heck do you do?
1: Yeah, John Roberts from Baton Rouge. Um, father, husband, Christian, business owner, real estate investor, um, all things uh, high energy. And um, I own, uh, co-own Attract Accounting Advisors. We're a fractional CFO firm. Uh, For those who don't know what that is, it's basically uh, accounting consulting. Uh, We service companies that need more than a bookkeeper, but less than uh, a full-time accounting staff. And so it's all things from, you know, the, the transactional day-to-day, uh, keeping up with books, it's uh, financial analysis, key performance indicator uh, tracking, it's uh, budgeting, forecasting, and um, also just general operational management as far as uh, a business owner might need an accountant involved.
0: So fractional CFO services. That's, That's right. The, 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 the
1: tag? That's right. Yep. I've never
0: heard. I've never heard, there's not many firms that do that here in town, is there?
1: No, I can think of a few. Um, it really plays into uh, my partner, Armin, Michaud, and I, it plays into our uh, past experience. And it's one of those things where we're really niching down into that, um, kind of taking a Keynes approach of one love and um, only focusing on the clients who, who need that. And so not at all a one-size-fits-all uh, arrangement, uh, but one that we found is pretty important. A lot of our construction companies, you know, need bonding. Um, they need to know whether they need to ramp up on hiring or um, do they need to go after a line of credit. If they do need a line of credit, oh, well, they're going to need financials, you know, or, and they might have monthly or quarterly reporting obligations that we handle Uh, It could be insurance renewals, you know, uh, working with the insurance agent to determine, you know, obviously you always want to be covered, but there's some sort of risk that you need to innately have or or accept in order to not go bankrupt from insurance. Um, And then it's just general day to day. A lot of our clients have a lot of turnover in their accounting department and we go in, implement best practices, uh, whether it's Reconciling a revenue system to QuickBooks or to some other accounting software and really teaching uh, the, the button pushers, essentially, you know, what are the ramifications of booking a bill versus an expense, right? And um, really taking the Greek that is accounting and translating it into plain English. I love that. Yeah.
0: That is greatly needed yeah. in every industry. Cause it's true you've got this shortage of folks with the wherewithal to know the difference between the bill and the expense and how that translates to all the financials, not just the P and L. There's also that balance sheet that a lot of people often overlook.
1: Yeah, and most <laughs> importantly, your statement of cash flows. Yeah. You know, which ties it all together. And you know, I, I can't tell you how many clients are like, John, our PNL looks great, but like where is my cash going? And um, you know, not to get too deep into accounting weeds, but You know, there are items that you spend cash on that don't show up on your P&L, you know, like debt service or fixed asset, you know, purchases. And um, once we get a client to understand that, uh, I think it gives them a little more relief to know that, you know, money isn't going out the back door. But at the same time, you know, you got to be careful as to how much your inventory will grow because it'll hemorrhage your cash. And, um, you know, if, if there's a new opportunity to, you know, spend more on CapEx or to buy a new company and and all of your money is stuck in inventory, uh, then that could be an issue, you know? (laughs) Especially
0: at the end of the year when you have to worry about that inventory tax.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that, and then also, um, you know, going to buy equipment at year end, you know, if you want to maximize your depreciation, but you've got no cash, uh, that's going to be a problem.
0: Yeah. Big problem. And it builds on that CPA, business owner relationship that I recognized when I, like before I went to LSU, before I got my degrees, I was like, there's this relationship that has to exist. You can't run a business successfully without either having a firm understanding of your financials or a great relationship with those that do.
1: No, hundred percent. And, um, it's not only, you know, everybody can, can look at a P and L or a balance sheet, but like, what does it actually mean? Um, and you know, Why? Why are these assets pent up on your balance sheet? Or, you know, why aren't your liabilities being paid down at a faster rate? And do you have any idea how much of your monthly payment is going to interest? And, you know, people are like, man, I'm never getting ahead. Yeah, because you you paid 50 grand in interest last year, and you thought you paid five. You know, and so, um, you know, just getting in and and, and teaching folks uh, the importance of um, of looping in the accountants. You know, I think so often accountants are kind of looked at really in two ways. The first is, um, you know, kind of a necessary evil. And then the second is maybe an accountant is someone who is really good at, at you know, bean counting and pushing paper but really has no real life application to help a business grow or scale. And, you know, what we were talking about earlier in terms of personality, I think folks assume that because an accountant is maybe shy, a typical accountant is shy and and maybe more reserved that they don't know what they're talking about or they lack confidence to make that suggestion that, Hey, you need to sell everything. Like I told a client that the other day, like, you've got this, this nice, you know, building company, whatever assets sell them all because the debt's coming due. And, uh, you know, now is, 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 a better time to sell than if we do enter in a recession and the value that, you know, you think you have, uh, is going to plummet. So I, I think that's where we've been really able to make a difference in, in some of our, uh, clients and, you know, we've really grown, uh, honestly, faster than I expected, which is a good good problem to have until, uh, you know, you, you reach max capacity.
0: Well, that's what I was about to get into is
1: the Patty G Show is now proudly
0: presented by Baton Rouge Regional Airport. Y'all, I fly exclusively Baton Rouge whenever I best can, and what they've got now since June of 23 is a non-stop flight from capital to capital, Baton Rouge Airport to Washington, D.C. You're able to make the round trip in one day. They've got the earliest flight, or even earlier than flying in New Orleans, you can fly to Baton Rouge to go from Baton Rouge to D.C., round trip one day. If you've got meetings in D.C. or you've got business gatherings, you definitely want to fly to Baton Rouge and go from capital to capital. They are a proud presenter. We are now brought to you by... Bat Rouge Regional Airport. Thank you so very much for bringing them on as the latest sponsor of yes. the Patty. <clears throat> At what point do you know you've reached max capacity? And how do you manage the workforce or lack thereof?
1: Yeah, that's an excellent question. So when we first started, um, I really went after folks who had a great work ethic, but maybe not a ton of technical knowledge. And I felt that between me being able to train them and obviously – keep an eye on them. And then also YouTube, uh, that, you know, these folks could, you know, get to the level of, of, um, you know, being, uh, as productive as possible, as quickly as possible. And, uh, as of late, we've really been blessed that at this point, our reputation is one of, you know, I think we like to say we're not your father's accounting firm, um, where, you know, we kind of pitch it as an opportunity to come in and make a difference right away and to get that instant gratification of, you know, making a client happy and uh, solving problems. And so um, with just outlets like this and being able to, to tell more folks about our company and then also the personal relationships that we've built over the years, uh, we've actually been able to attract some really good talent. And so in the last three years, three weeks. So two folks have started, uh, one lady with like 20 years experience, um, you know, at different controller positions around town, uh, joined up. And then, uh, one, uh, lady from, um, she had three years of tax experience at a real big firm around here. And she was kind of a cog in a wheel. I mean, I've been there for sure. And, um, you know, we just made a really competitive offer and, and told her that, you're in our plans to scale, and so I think that it just required us to be a lot more creative with uh, with our offers, and because we're so lean that we could we could pay as much as the big bigger companies can, and maybe offer more perks. Um, that's going to be a key strategic point going forward in terms of like, how big do we want to be? Cause I, I never want to get so big that, you know, we're going against the Eisner Ampers of the world. Right. Um, but I do want to be big enough to, um, have additional resources for our clients. Right. Like one thing that's really important or that, that we're seeing across, you know, the, the, uh, industry is the integration with financial advisors, right. Uh, having a CFP on, on staff and, um, You know we're in talks uh, with that, yeah, and our clients would love it. And um, you know, I mentioned earlier, I think offline, but you know, we bought a new building and we've got room to grow in there too. So um, I guess I look at it as an opportunity to really be as big as we want to be, but never really sacrifice that that quality. And then you asked another good question as to how do you measure capacity? Uh, It's my workload, (laughs) you know, (laughs) if. If, if, if I'm working, you know, till midnight, three nights a week, and then all day, Saturday and Sunday, like that's an issue. Right. And uh, if we're being honest, uh, that is a current issue. And uh, that's why I was so relieved when these new, you know, employees started. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting, though, the same thing that, that got me into this point, it, or that got me here is is the same thing that gets me into more trouble, right? That is like you know, help wanting to help people so much that you know I am willing to give up my entire weekend, or willing to give up you know putting my kids to, to bed, and then because you are like oh just this once, you know, and then the next thing you know, you know you are you've you've missed half the bedtimes during the month, you know, and so um, it's 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 been a struggle, and it's been it's been something like it's been a situation where at first I had to prove to myself that it was a viable concept and that like we could sell the work and I had to prove to the team because, you know, if we're not selling any work, the team's like, well, dang, how am I going to get paid? And, uh, and, and I feel like we're about to that point where folks are like, okay, like this is a legit company. It, you know, it's ran by, you know, a bunch of young dudes who probably are more casual than anybody else that they've ever met. Um, But at the same time, you know, we we live by our core values, you know, be cool, extreme ownership, integrity, drive and family. And they understand that, you know, we I'm not going to say we're 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 established, but we're not a startup anymore. Right. You know,
0: Well, I think that often gets lost when you look at the realm of relaxed and calm and cool and collective within your financial world. You know, if you're sitting down with somebody and they're so relaxed and so just easygoing, there has been this persona of, like, qualitative work they can produce. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, they're so relaxed, they're so laid back, how do they know what they're talking about? And so you got to find that balance to where you can still assert that you're informed, you know what you're talking about, and it's accurate, and still keep that laid back. To attitude where you're not always, you know, uptight and proper and everything, but you can actually connect with the clients better. And it's going to differ on what clients sit in the room. It has to. Hundred percent. You have to be a chameleon in that sense where you can adapt to who you're sitting across from because the conversations you have with a fourth generation farming organization versus somebody going in IT, Mm -hmm. two different conversations. Yeah.
1: And I've learned that lesson the hard way. You know, I've, I've been the, I'm not going to say apathetic, but like I've been Mr. Cool in certain meetings and, you know, meetings with folks who have owned a company for 30, 40 years. And uh, it didn't go over so well, you know, (laughs) and uh, looking back on it, you know, I should have known better. Um, I never made that mistake again, though. But to your point.
0: This episode is proudly presented by Gage. Gage is a local company here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. For over 40 years, Gage has provided businesses with the very best telecommunications, IT, and standby power services available. Gauge has a variety of services, including Gauge Cloud Voice. It is the last phone system your business will ever need. You need to give your business the ability to be accessible anytime, anywhere, and with Gauge's cloud-based phone system, you'll be able to accomplish just that. Not only do they have Gauge Cloud Voice, they have fully managed IT services that are proactive network monitoring, 24-7, 365 help desk business content They are there for you. What you're also going to need is some cybersecurity. Gage is there to safeguard your business from potential cyber threats, even when you aren't aware they exist. Gage also is power and leaders in standby generators. They are the number one Cummins dealer on the Gulf Coast and provide generators to homes and businesses of any size so you can keep life going. Gage, better connected. A proud sponsor of the Patty G Show.
1: But to your point, you know, a lot of people look at, uh, you know, being uh, more relaxed as as being apathetic, and uh, that's really not us. You know, we we're very to the point. I think you know, people ask us what we think, <laughs> and I never say it depends. Do you know what I mean? Like if somebody asks me a very complicated question, and like I just say it depends and then stay silent, like I added no value, right? And so like what I like to do is I, I'll i say it depends, but comma, like it depends, but like here are the different ways that we can approach this and and offer more value because, you know, it's, it's famous for attorney speak, right? Like, oh, well, well, what happens if this happens? Well, it depends. Well, you're not adding any value by saying it depends. And we always like to say, Armin and I, like, we're willing to, to stick our stick our neck out a little bit for our clients. Like if, if I give some advice and I'm wrong, well, if if I feel like I'm wrong, I'm gonna go back and like validate. And and I might tell the client, like, look, I'm not hundred percent sure about this. I think this is the way we need to do it. Uh, so let's proceed this way. But I'm reserving the right to go a different direction if we need to. And uh, I think so so often, you know, if, if we have an important meeting. And a client comes to me and says, "Hey, you know, what do you think about this?" Ah, it depends. Or I'll have to get back with you. They're like, oh, "Man, I just drove over here for nothing."
0: You know. <laughs> so I'll, I'll I'll take your "it depends" comment because I use it frequently. <clears throat> but instead of saying, "It depends," but if we go X, Y, and Z, so I'll will they'll ask me a question. Oh, what are we thinking about? You know, going from one location to two, and or what do I think if I'm going to do this tax strategy? It's like, well, it depends. And my follow-up with them is always more information gathering, right? Yeah. You know, which we have to do. Yeah. It's like, okay, it depends. Well, what are you thinking about this? What's this angle? And so I'm like, I'm finding my answers to then say, okay, now that your beginning question was, how do I ride a bike? And then I asked you all these other things. And now I know I need to, I need to recommend this bike for you to ride mm-hmm. on your course to the countryside that you're going with your family of six. It's like, you know, you start with what the client thinks is they just need a quick, immediate answer. Yeah. But because of how there are a lot of technicalities and everything within our, our field, you have to ask a lot more questions to get more information to then bring that like, okay, here's what we need to do. Here's that thought planned out But Yeah. Those folks that are just like, well, it depends. Let me let me do some research and get back to you. It's like, okay, you're not, but to your point, it's like they're, it they drove this way. They blocked out time of their day. You got to give them something. You yeah. know? So I'm always like, it depends on these other additional factors I need to ask you about.
1: 100%. And, you know, speaking of, of growth earlier, I, I've had this realization like in the last couple of weeks that I only want to grow as fast as my staff can support it. Yeah. You know, like don't grow and then expect to backfill the staff. You um, know, we like to say, you know, we, we only like to hire guns You know, like, like I expect a lot out of everybody on our team and I'm okay with the fact that I can find six guns uh, and and stay boutique as opposed to going on a hiring spree or or hiring spree and hiring 25 people and not really know what the quality will be. But my, but my top line looks great. You know, I don't want to grow just to grow, Mm -hmm. you know,
0: I think that not just accounting specific, but for every entrepreneur, controlled level of growth. Mm -hmm. We've had some amazing people sit in the spot that you're at, and they've gone down that path of, we want controlled growth that we can manage Mm -hmm. to make sure our product is not diminished over the volume that we produce. And with accounting, you can easily find yourself upside down while, again, top lines looking great. You're sacrificing bedtimes missed. You're mm-hmm. sacrificing your weekends. You're sacrificing any and every ounce of free time you thought you had. You're sacrificing really unplugging at the end of the day. You know, how oftentimes is your phone, you turn it on loud when you get home because you want to see if somebody's reaching out to you and yeah. contacting you with a problem that you have to solve. And when you try to do that rapid growth, that rapid expansion, the top-level folks often end up absorbing that blow more so than your medium and lower level staff, Mm -hmm. where it matters that you have the support to handle all that high end. And if you can't, you just end up busting your butt and working 12 days, you know, 12 hours a day over the weekends. And it's tough to grow. And it's also tough to tell a client no.
1: Yeah. And, you know, to the point of having a lot of guns, um, I want to empower our team that is i i want the the folks that our clients speak to to be empowered to give that advice and to be trained up on the front end to give that advice uh because you know even when i was at you know a big firm in the past i mean even to this day like i'm i'm working with firms and occasionally like i don't do the audit right i'll do the books but i can't do the audit because i'm not independent and I'm like, okay, I've got a question about the audit. And these are like high up people, like folks who have been with the firm for you know, fifteen plus years. Like, oh, I gotta ask the partner. You know, like this isn't that complicated. Yeah. You know, like can can you tell me what you think about this? Is this um, is is this support sufficient or not? And um, it just doesn't seem very efficient. And um, you know, I. I want to empower the team. You know, I, I can't, I can't stress that enough. When the, the
0: larger firms build up systems and bureaucracies and levels of command that your boutique firms offer a lot more independence mm-hmm. and a lot more independent thinking mm-hmm. and answering where you've got these larger firms through a recent acquisition of a firm that they have to send all their reports through like New York. Yeah. Yeah. And so you've got staff at a local level that are aggravated and they just finish the work. They expect to be able to send it to the client because it's done, signed off, but it has to be signed off by somebody in New York who's signing off on a thousand other audits. Mm -hmm. And so then they get frustrated because their work product has been done for two weeks, isn't communicated to the client because it has to go through these procedures Just because it's how things are run. Mm -hmm. But then you have the local clients here who've been working with this person for years and used to getting responses and answers quickly. And now it's, well, that's got to go through corporate. Well, that's got to go through corporate. Well, that's got to go through corporate. And keeping a certain size can be strategic and lucrative in the long run Mm -hmm. because you build up that demand.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's the perfect balance between, you know, quality and convenience, right? Like these big firms are going to say, well, it's part of our quality manual, you know, like we we have to uphold this level of quality and I get that. But, you know, a snowball stand client of ours doesn't need three levels of approval to see whether they need to buy another snowball stand or not, you know, and so. (laughs) So, um, you know, just just finding on the front end, you know, what clients are a good fit um, you know maybe some clients will be accept uh, ex- will accept a a longer lead time in order to get you know a, a really nice uh, sign off from a you know Ivy League graduate you know but maybe not <laughs>
0: <laughs> and look at, at the end of the day when you're bringing your financials to a banker to a financier they don't Particularly care what their college degree was, right? Or where they got it from. If they have the three valued letters behind their mm-hmm. name, they're like, okay, cool. And, that's, yeah. and, that's, and at the end of the day, if you're somebody looking to purchase another building and expand, you want to meet their parameters in the best way you can. To what end? do you strive to get somebody that's from an Ivy league school to sign off on the document? Yeah. We all had to take the same test. Right. We all had to pass the same test. You don't know if they got a, a 76 or a hundred. You don't know if I got a 76 or a hundred on the exam. You know, it's like at that point, do you want the work done and you want to keep your business moving forward and you want to be efficient with your process
2: or do you want to be able to say, Oh, I've got some Ivy league folks behind me. Yeah. Um, Imagine taxiing on a plane looking toward the end of the runway. It seems so far away, it's even hard to see it. And that's what the concept of retirement probably felt like when you were in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, way far in the distance, not visible or even a concern. But as you turn 50, something happens. Retirement suddenly seems like something real, something not too far away. In your 50s, you are rolling down the runway. Retirement is getting closer and closer, faster and faster, weeks and months zipping by. But are you even ready for a successful takeoff to retirement? Fear not, there's still runway left, but the time is now. Time to make progress and time to get a plan. The Runway Decade will help you get organized, get energized, and give you the direction you need to take off to your desired retirement. The Runway Decade building a pre-retirement flight plan in your 50s yeah
1: man it's uh it's interesting because um you know we have clients who you know they just want to they just want an answer you know they, they want an answer now and uh we have to do our best to to uh you know to to give them what they want And a lot of times it's a time-sensitive answer. And, you know, what I like most about where we're at in the boutique realm is I'm becoming really good friends with a lot of these business owners. And um, our relationship is is starting to transcend a transactional one in that we're now starting to invest together. Or there might be a deal that, you know, I come across that, you know, I can't afford, but I know that they can. And I know that they need the write-off. And um, it's a win win, you know, because my goal is to teach them how to save on taxes, let's say, for example. And, you know, at the same time, I get the satisfaction of helping them and then they're going to go tell their friends about me, you know. And so um, it's, it's cool that when we, you stay in the boutique realm, that you, you really develop, you know, relationships that are more than transactional.
0: And it's all on what type of firm you want to build. Mm -hmm. It is, are you after a tax practice that is high volume? Or are you after a client accounting services practice that is qualitative volume? Mm -hmm. Where it's not, you're not trying to get a thousand clients. You're trying to get 20 to 25 really good ones. Because at the end of the day, 20 to 25 is kind of an individual's cap. You know, like it's just to work and service them to the fullest possible extent. I find... 20 to 25 clients is where people tap out. Mm -hmm. What, I mean, are you, what, where where do you see that number in what an individual accountant or CPA can service to the fullest extent possible?
1: Yeah, I agree. I, um, I've done a lot of research around the topic and I've looked to, you know, different influencers in the accounting industry and I'm a part of a few masterminds and, you know, I've been to a few conferences and 30, you know, like you said, 25 to 30 is the max. And, um, you know, it, it's my job as the owner to be able to sell a high level of of service to the client from a margin perspective so that I don't need to have 40 or 50 clients, right? Um, and if if we have a client who doesn't want to pay the fees in order to be one of the 25, well, then it's just not a fit. And I made that mistake on the front end. Um, as I talk like I've had this firm forever. It's only eighteen months old. Um, yeah. we'll, we'll back <laughs> up once you finish this thought. <laughs> yeah, and uh, it, but I, I look back at you know clients who I've kind of disengaged over the last few months, and uh, I wouldn't have even really had more than one conversation with them now. But back then, I was just trying to put food on the table, you know, and trying to validate the the proof of concept. And uh, it, it's crazy the maturity that we've had in the last you know eighteen months.
0: So to back up, let, let's let's get to that. That's what's the origin story of Attract?
1: Yeah. So where'd you come from? So uh, I worked four years in in audit at Postway Netterville. Uh, awesome clients. A lot of what I learned in those four years I implement now mainly from a cultural perspective. So Canes was one of my biggest clients. So we'd go to Frisco, you know. Every I guess quarter or twice a year, and um, I've, I've I've ripped out some of their, uh, you know, culture uh, knacks and uh, implemented them in, in our firm. Um, and then I also learned a lot about banks and credit unions. And I worked for, I worked with Marucci and Turner and Excel and and a lot of blue chip companies around town. Um, and basically felt like. Okay, you know, and I was on the partner track there and then they told me that. But it's a good thing I didn't stay, I guess. <laughs> you know? So I was I was about
0: to I was about to ask um what what's their timeline? So for for folks that aren't aware of how public accounting firms generally work, you start as an intern, you work your way to a I mean, there're different titles for this, but this is the general flow chart. Intern, staff, senior, manager, senior manager, some folks have, junior partner, and then partner. So what was their timetable from intern to partner?
1: Yeah, so for me, they told me it went by the time I was 32, which I just turned 32 last week.
0: So when did you start with them?
1: Yeah, I started in 2014. So it would have been a seven-year track, essentially. So nine,
0: 2014 was nine years ago.
1: Oh, yeah, I guess so. Wow, so time de- flies.
0: So a decade... <laughs> So a decade. <laughs> yeah. is generally, the, that's right. It's generally the time frame that CPA firms see from start to partner if you start at the very bottom. And it's generally a decade mm-hmm. of hard work, dedication, to get to that partner track.
1: Yeah. And then once you're a partner, you know, you're kind of beholden to your other partners from a reputation standpoint, from a business mix standpoint, because the staff that would be working on my engagement when I'm a, when I'm a partner, let's say they just got pissed off because last week they worked on another job that's going to crush their performance bonus because it's not utilizing well, right. Or it's not realizing well. And, uh, and that was always kind of scary for me, too. Like, I couldn't control the culture uh, because the, the, the staff uh, worked from partner to partner throughout the course of the year. And I wanted them to work intensely from, say, February to April on my jobs, but then they roll into governmental. And you know their deadlines are completely different. You know they've got nine, they've got September 30th deadlines or or December 31st deadlines, and so you end up working these people to death uh, because they they have so many bosses, right? And um, so anyway, I spent four uh, four years at Postelate. It was a great experience, great people. Um, but i felt like in order to really round out my resume i wanted some corporate finance experience thank and you so, so very
0: much to building 5 for the becoming the latest sponsor of the patty g show we are going to be filming once a month at building 5 we're going to post about it on our socials so you can come and visit with us building 5 is an excellent Food establishment. If you're into sharing boards and really getting a creative menu, Misty and Brumby have done an excellent job of creating an environment that's warm, welcoming, inviting for every single occasion. Go on over to Building Five in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and
1: tell them at the Patty G Show experience. And so, uh, Epic Piping was hiring, and what's interesting about that uh, about that story is um, I got my resume in the stack because. I worked with a girl from Postal Weight who was there, and she was the accounting manager. And I originally app- applied for the FPNA position, financial planning and analysis. And uh, it was down to me and a lady from Community Coffee who we ended up working together. I didn't get the FPNA job. But what happened was that accounting manager who connected me with Epic left the company. <laughs> and uh, they asked me in the interview, like, John, do you want this role? And uh, I thought back to, you know, just over the years, you know, getting feedback from interviews and, um, you know, everyone told me it doesn't matter what position, uh, you know, what seat on the bus that you're on. It just matters what bus you're on. And I knew that Epic was scaling big time. And I knew that there was the Bernhard Capital background and, uh, you know, that it was basically the Shaw 2.0. And so uh, I said, yeah, I'll take it. And uh, I hadn't even done a bank wreck in years, you know, a bank reconciliation, which is something like interns do, uh, because it just wasn't my expertise. I was in audit. I was doing tests and, you know, internal controls and things of that nature. And so it was a really awesome experience uh, at Epic. And I met my now partner, Armand Michaud. He was my boss at Epic. And we were a really lean organization, uh, really well organized. And um, it was in that environment that I realized there are companies out there who really value accountants. And uh, I mean, the accountants led many meetings and uh, I think it was a testament to how strong that accounting team was. And, um, you know, our CFO had previously been a president of a division in Shaw and, um, he, you know, he's by far, you know, one of the smartest guys I've ever met and, and he could present well and he was always on point. And so I really emulated him and Armin did too. And um, he was just so well respected. And so I would say in late 2021, or really even going back to COVID, right? Um, COVID hit. I started to reevaluate where I was at in my life, you know, and and what what my potential was, and was I realizing every, you know, was I doing everything I can to to be the best that I could be, and and uh, and I started having my first child was born in 2019, and my second was born in 2021. And so, by the time my second child was born, you know, my wife was still working full time, and it was a grind. I mean, you know, we worked long hours—nothing no, near like we work now. But we worked long hours, and um, you know, rates were still low at the time. And so, uh, and I had a lot of equity in my house because I had been on the Dave Ramsey plan, leading up, you know, fifteen-year mortgage, and and so uh, I refinanced the house to a lower rate and to a thirty-year AM and, uh, to spread my payments out and get my note down. And I said, you know, let's let, I'm going to try to step out. And so I met this guy uh, named David Dean, who, uh, was good friends with this guy, Ricky Ferreira, who's a financial advisor in town. And David had been in business with his father and his father had retired. And and David was just kind of one of these, you know, CPAs with a bookkeeper and had a great practice, but, you know, wasn't really looking to scale. Right. And so, um, I basically went to work for him and with the intention of taking over his firm. And in the meantime, I was building up a tract, which started off as just friends and family. And it was just fractional, now fractional controller work. Um, It probably started off as bookkeeping. You know, hey, John, you know, I have no idea if I'm making money. Um, I don't know how to do sales tax. I don't know how to run payroll or anything like that. And um, my QuickBooks is jacked up. Do you know how to fix it? And I told him, yeah. And in reality, I had no idea how to fix it. <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, it, it just kind of grew from there. And so in April of 22, uh, my partner, Me showed left Epic. So I had left Epic like four months prior. And he left. And then that's like when we really took off. Um, you know, we, we started uh, getting some bigger engagements with... Um, Bernard Capital companies, and uh, word got around that, you know, we we had great pedigree, and um, that you know, so often we hear from our clients. To your point from earlier, you know, maybe they don't communicate the best. You know, the, the CPAs don't communicate well, or you know, they're stuck in the '90s, or you know, they don't have systems that scale. And so we decided to flip it on its head. You know, from the very beginning, we said that we were going to implement, uh, you know, the, this practice management software workflows similar to monday.com. Um, we're going to implement bill.com. We're going to work on only accounting software that we're comfortable with, which is largely QuickBooks desktop, QuickBooks uh, o- online, largely online. And um, and really, you know, reverse engineer this thing um, to where, you know, we could, we could give clients uh, our best at at this one particular niche. And so um, in the meantime, you know, David Dean was still doing taxes. And so I learned how to do taxes and um, you know, I knew enough uh, to to at least do a tax return. You know, I hadn't (laughs) done any tax work since like 2015, 2016. I didn't even do my own taxes up to that point. But I really poured in and, uh, and leaned in, and David trained me, you know, really well. And there's a lot of stuff that I still don't know about tax work, um, but YouTube is a great resource. As I mentioned, I join these masterminds, and and that's really been cool. So, um, you know, today we're a team of twelve. Uh, we have some assistance in Nepal as well that helps out with um, kind of the lower level stuff, expense classification, bank reconciliations. Um, they're even starting to do uh, some accrual uh, journal entries, which for those of you who don't know, uh, that means you're basically recognizing expenses when you incur them and not when you pay them and revenue when you earn it and not necessarily when you're paid. And, um, and so it's been a, it's been a great uh, progression so far. But as of late, I'd say probably the last two months uh, with the tax deadline and whatnot, I've felt like i am spinning plates a bit, you know. Oh, let's keep this one going. Oh, no, this one's about to fall. Let's go help out that one. And so, um, you know, it's it's uh it's a point where we need to make a strategic decision as to where do we go from here? Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah. So you mentioned in there a lot yeah. which <clears throat> you've you've come a long way in a short period of time, which is fantastic. Yeah. And having that PNN audit experience is huge you know audit is one of those areas that you get to learn a lot about the why behind the organization and mm-hmm. it helps you kind of plan and project from there but what you mentioned was having some remote workers outside of the country so yep. let's go down that area and how does that work how do you make that feasible while maintaining in the ever digital age security
1: yeah excellent question so It started off as, um, you know, just trying to find, you know, freelancers and it was a situation where the freelancers would never have access (laughs) to anything other than um, a bank statement and your client's QuickBooks account and, um, you know, never access to any personal identifying identification, uh, any PII information is the other I I was looking for. And, um, and so essentially, um, you know, that worked out okay. It turns out the the freelancers didn't only work for me. Uh, and well, I knew they, that oh, they yeah, didn't. You know, freelancers, they <laughs> yeah. only work for me, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, but just being able to, you know, reconcile a year's worth of screwed up books, you know, it was a way to keep, um, security, uh, high and to keep, Cost down, and also a way for uh, us to stay efficient, and so that kind of morphed into where we're at now. We don't implement any freelancers anymore, um, but we do implement this service in Nepal. Who it's been, it's an American company, and it's a friend of mine uh, who's also a mentor named Asis Asharia. Uh, he built up his own you know staff, essentially a staffing company and um from a security perspective our it guy has access to his computer to our subcontractor and our subcontractor has the same amount of security that we do here uh he, he he's signed off on allowing us to monitor it and all these types of things and everything we do is cloud-based multi-encryption all of that there's multi-factor on everything and uh our IT guy is, is very familiar with, um, what, what it takes to, to stay secure there. And, uh, he doesn't do any tax work either. Our, our subcontractor in, in Nepal. And, um, so, you know, there is language in our engagement letter that allows us to do that. And, uh, it's quite common. I mean, all the big firms are doing it and they all have that same language. Um, and, you know, we're upfront with our clients uh, and we let them know, like, hey, you know, we're scaling to be a virtual firm. We do have help overseas. And, you know, here's the here's the steps that we're taking to maintain your, your privacy and make sure that you're protected. And so it's been great for us because, you know, these guys, this one guy in particular, the subcontractor, you know, we pay him, I think, maybe two thousand dollars a month. And he performs like someone who we would pay five thousand or six thousand a month. Yeah. And what's what's great about him too is he he's really a manager, and he is uh, ready for more junior staff to build up underneath him. Um, and so, you know, I think that's the future of our firm. Like I think, and you know, this will be news to to my partner Armand, but I was talking <laughs> to some friends uh, or to, to some other members of the team but I could really see only managers and above being American going forward. You know, like that staff level accountant. Um, These guys in Nepal have master's degrees in accounting. I don't know how it translates, but I do know that they work very hard. They understand privacy and security and they're vetted by the staffing company. Right. Um, And in a digital age, you know, they, they'll link up with us, uh, typically 8 a.m. Our time is like five or 6 p.m. their time. And, you know, we have team huddles every day and those guys are on it. Um, so I think it's a, it's kind of a, a secret sauce for us at our level because all the big firms are doing it, all of them. And, uh, but no one at the boutique level has that relate. And that's just a, Luck, grace of God, like that I met someone who yeah. could, per, could help me, you know, in that realm with staffing.
0: Yeah. I mean, cause that is an absolute challenge in our industry is staffing
1: mm-hmm.
0: because they all one way or another decide to go work for a big four and they work for a big four. Generally, your, your, your four year lifespans about the, where they most tap out mm-hmm. because they recognize They've got a lot of great things going for them, but when you're in tax or you're in audit or you're in another particular field, it's all you do. Mm -hmm. Like you said, you hadn't touched tax returns in 2015, Mm -hmm. you know? And you've got these hours that they just have to get the work done. Right. The work's got to get done, but it's very attractive to go work there because of X, Y, and Z. And so when you realize that you're after something different, then when you get people leaving the boot, at their like four or five years into their career. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to find those entry level folks to do that entry level work that's ever so needed because everybody's getting off to a bigger firm when you're a smaller firm and you only have so many resources to go around.
3: Mm-hmm. Welcome to the brand yeah. new Falia mobile app. We took all the same tech that's helped hundreds of people sell their homes themselves and packed it into an easy to use app for your phone. When you download the Fly mobile app on either the Apple or Android app store, you'll immediately be able to see the power of this game-changing tool. From the seller's dashboard, you can navigate to all the information that you need. We intentionally separated everything into key groups, such as tasks to be completed, buyer leads for your listing, and contact information for everyone involved through closing. When you get an offer on your property, you can simply review and respond all within the app. No matter where you are in the world, you'll be able to monitor everything that's going on with your property from listed to sold. It's truly the power of Falaya in the palm of your hand. Download the app and see for yourself. Falaya. it's real estate reimagined.
1: Yeah, you're right. It's so competitive. And, and we are very mindful of um, recruiting. And, you know, I'm going to speak at Bait Office I think, next week at LSU. And, um, I think we're, our pitch is like I said earlier, not your dad's CPA firm, you know, I, sorry. I think that for us, um, you know, we'll come off as an opportunity for folks to make just as much money as, as big four, but be able to scale your knowledge that much quicker. And, um, also, you know, we have young kids too, right? And and so we understand the importance of balance. And you know, I'm not going to say like I have the best work life balance, but I'll be damned like my staff will have a better work life balance than I do um, because I took the risk, you know. And and uh, and the buck stops with me. And and so I want them to have the best experience. Um, and I think me being so near to that, that I guess point in, in life where, you know, you're, you're newly married or you're having kids and, and, and I can relate to that. And we, you know, when I was at, you know, these big firms or, or even bigger companies, the, the, the relatability, it just isn't there. And, um, I, yeah. I think for us, you know, that's kind of our, another one of our, uh, you know, defining factors.
0: Yeah. You lose a little bit when you take st- 10 to 15 years to get to a senior partner level where you're making those decisions from the staff that are there in their early 20s. That's right. You know, they're worried about nowadays maybe settling down. They want to travel, which means they need remote opportunities. They want to start a family, which means they're going to need some flexibility in the timing. Or they've got young kids, which means they need even more flexibility in timing. So you run into the situation where You're almost unrelatable Mm -hmm. to a degree of, well, what do you mean you can't just come into work at five or six in the morning and get this stuff done? Like, what do you talk, what do you have, what do you have to do? Yeah. it's Like, well, I've got a kid, I got to drop off at other daycare or preschool, you know? And it's like, oh, well, my kids are driving, they're self-deficient, you know, I don't have those same burdens and it's hard to establish this, here are my needs, can you see that, Mm -hmm. you know?
1: And it starts on the front end, too. I mean, you know, I, I always try to tell the staff, it's like, I'm going to load you up. You know, like, you you need to tell me when. But when you say when, I'm not going to push you any harder. Because, like, I understand that, you know, like, for instance, a staff member calls in sick. I got it. You know, I can pick up the slack. Now, on the flip side, John can't ever call in sick. You know what I mean? And, and yeah. so that's the trade-off. Like I'm not going to expect them to work as hard as me uh, because I, I get more reward to be quite honest. Now, if, if they want the same amount of reward and they can match the the work ethic and the drive, then we're going to make it equitable. Um, And I think that comes into, comes down to leadership, you know, like being able to, to, you know, treat everyone fair, but not the same. Uh, I think that's the problem with big organizations too, is they treat everyone the same. They think fair is the same and it's not. Like that's what happens with these high performers at these big firms. They get treated the same as everyone else and in reality, they're going above and beyond and their bonus is capped, but it shouldn't be capped because they're you know pro- providing a much level, a higher level of service to their clients. And, um, and so for me, in, in terms of growth, I, I don't want to ever be so big that that part of our culture gets lost, yeah. you know. Like where I'm only tracking scorecards. Like I want to see, uh, you know, I want to talk to the clients and see how they feel about the staff, and uh, and that's how we can really maintain that true quality.
0: Well, and the trouble trouble with capping is, you ever seen The Office? Yes. You saw when Jim's bonus got capped. Yes. That relates to real life, definitely. And if you tell somebody a goal or a threshold that they've got to reach and then you later on tell them it's capped at that level, they're going to immediately become disengaged mm-hmm. until the next time they start over again. Yeah. Because if they know and you'll find out how efficient they can become because if you tell them here's your salary cap, here's that billable hours you got to have, and they start hitting that in nine months, eight months, instead of a full calendar 12, they're going to be so disengaged for, you know, a third or a quarter of the year. Yeah.
1: And what does that do to the other folks, you know, like who maybe aren't capped, but the the perception is that it's okay to just sit back and kick your feet up, exactly. you know, when, when you've reached a level that you're comfortable with. And, um, you know, again, that that's leadership, you know, and, um, I, I am really happy. Like, I'm so blessed to have learned from some excellent leaders, you know, um, A lot of my college football coaches, I played football at Southeastern, and all of my college football coaches from when I was at Southeastern are doing huge things right now. Like Ron Roberts was our defense, uh, was our head coach, and he's now the defensive coordinator at Auburn. Pete Golding was the defensive coordinator at Southeastern. And just recently, he was the DC at Alabama, and now he's at Ole Miss. Uh, Patrick Toney, who was our GA, he's now the def- uh, defensive backs coach at Arizona Cardinals. My position coach, Carl Scott, was at the University of Alabama. Now he's at Seattle Seahawks. And so I learned from these guys who were just excellent leaders. And um, I just I had opportunities that not many people in our industry have. And, um, you know, they used to say, like, it's amazing what happens or how successful you can be when no one cares who gets the credit. And that's how we run our organization as well. You know, I don't care, I don't have to tell everybody on my team how good I did with a certain client. Um, but you know, if you let your ego get the best of you, uh, it, it's gonna, it's gonna come to that, and and the team suffers and the client suffers.
0: And in our position, you have to be well. It doesn't matter who gets the credit, and the credit goes rightfully so where it needs to be, as an owner. To your point, the buck always stops with you. Mm -hmm. So if something bad happens, or my team had a mess up, I'm always on the phone with the client. Hey, here's what happened, and it's not like oh, John messed up. It's like no, 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 we messed up. Here's how we're gonna fix it. X, Y, and Z. You gotta take it out. Talk to me. Mm -hmm. Like it's we. You as a leader can't be like oh, no, that was that was all John. John did all that. Like you gotta talk to him. He messed up your books or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's "No, no, no, no. We recognize there's an issue. We're going to resolve it. And tell me what you need to tell me. Yeah, It's like, hit hit me with it. Don't hit the staff with it. We manage internally how we resolve problems. Mm -hmm. Like you don't, as the client, need to go and yell at my staff.
1: Yeah. And that's, yell at me. Yeah. That's (laughs) extreme ownership too. I mean, that's our core, one of our core values. You know, everything that happens in this firm is my fault. And, as our staff come along, they're starting to develop that mentality as well. Um, and it's it's easy to say like, oh, uh, you know, is it really your fault, John? Well, clearly because I didn't train them well enough. And if they weren't trained, how could I have you know figured that out on the front end? Well, did I really do everything I could to double check their work? Or was I too busy selling other work, Yeah, you know, and, and, and looking back, you know, maybe that was an issue. Maybe John was too worried about business development and, you know, maybe not didn't spend enough time on staff evaluation and, uh, or on the front end in the interviewing process, John should have had a process to, to catch this, this poor skill or this poor habit that, you know, this employee had. And, you know, I'm finding that, um, if, if, if we continue to have a culture of, of high achievers, uh, the people who we want in the boat are going to up their performance. You know, like they're, they're going to get with like Saban said it best, like mediocre people or high achievers don't like hanging out with mediocre people. and And my goal is to not have any mediocre people. If I only have 10, you know, dogs like we're going we're going with 10. You know, I'd rather fight with, with 10 dogs than, you know, 30 people who, you know, aren't going to be there when I need them. Right. You know, so I, I really take a lot of sports analogies and a lot of sports lessons and apply it to accounting, uh, which is funny because, you know, maybe you'd see that in a construction company, but not an accounting company. Yeah, yeah. you don't hear about a lot of
0: football <laughs> players going and starting their own accounting firm. Yeah. It's uh, not the common theme for accountants, you know.
1: Yeah, man, there's so much to learn about life in sports, though, you know, and and uh, and even, you know, whether you like Saban or not, like the dude is a living legend. And uh, I just I just find myself like looking at footage of him and 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 how he he manages his team and, you know, his mantras and it takes what it takes. And like he jumped on a reporter. uh, I don't even know if it was recent or not. But he jumped on a reporter saying, like, how important is it that you get, you know, your young guys to play this week? He says, why do you think they're going to play? You know, do you think that this team that we're playing against is so poor that, you know, we're going to have our cleanup crew in on the second quarter, which means like your second and third uh, string? And he said, see, that's the problem with with the media and even members of our team. Like they underestimate the opponent and I never underestimate my opponent. And honestly, like my opponents I'll, I'll never talk bad about another firm or anything like that because there's so much work to go around i mean so much. i i am just i'll be honest at first i had a, a you know a, a mindset of of lack like not one of abundance and i'm like man i got to go after you know so and so who 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 uh, specializes in construction like i want all their clients and in reality there's so much work to go around like now i see why these firms merge Ernst and Young. You know what I mean? Like there was Ernst and there was Young. You know, they merged together. Um, because there's just so much opportunity out there. And uh I you know, I, I guess getting back to Saban though, like I'm not gonna underestimate, you know, my opponent or even my client. Like there's so often times when I'm like, man, I could really just not go down this rabbit hole with this client and they'll never really, you know, know one way or the other if I if I you know, cut a corner, let's say. Um, And not to say anything fraudulent by any means. It's just like, do I need to go in and explain it when I know that it's not really going to stick, but I'll do it anyway, because I feel like the more that we repeat it, the more they'll say, Oh, well, you know, maybe I can go, they think about it a different way, you know, because they have things in their head that I would never think of. 100%. You know,
0: look, I started doing family financials for my wife and I, and she never cared about a balance sheet. And now it's a big point of conversation. Mm hmm. You repeat it and you work through it. And at the end of the day, they recognize the value you're
1: trying to offer is worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, a, a concierge approach, you know, like like Bree Boudreaux was talking about, I, I think that's where we want to be. You know, I, I only want to work with tax clients who will buy a tax plan. You know, I don't want to just do your tax work because at the end of the day, you're going to get mad at me uh, when you have to pay a big tax bill. And I'm going to say, well, we should have planned better. But in order for us to plan better, you know, a you would have had to, you know, step out of your of your comfort zone in terms of, you know, investing in this or that and maximizing depreciation. And you would have had to pay for it because it took me a long time to figure out these strategies. And more importantly, um, it it took a lot of effort to personalize it to you. And so, um, you know, I we're not for everyone. I went to a a 368, uh, some assembly required last week. And this guy, Bill DePaula got up and he's, uh, he's the CEO of a swamp dog, which is, looks to me like a, like a, a franchisee restaurant investment company. And they got a bunch of different brands. And he said, you know, the best way to build a brand is to build a repellent one, one that doesn't attract everyone, one that repels people. And that is to say like, to build a brand that is not for everyone um, because essentially you want the loyalists to stand with you. Like you don't want the populists. You know, you want the raving fans, the loyalists. And if that means that, you know, a client doesn't want to pay our rates, um, then that's just how it goes. You're just not a fit, you know.
0: And that is a strategy that allows you to really offer the best level of service. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, I know for every hour I'm billing, I provided value and the client sees it. And when they see it, they're going to pay it Mm -hmm. because they recognize what is brought to the table and what they gained from it. And it's a mutual agreement that we're fair and equitable.
2: Patty G Show is proudly
0: brought to you by Mimosa Handcrafted Jewelry. Mimosa Handcrafted Jewelry is a local business right here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. They create handcrafted jewelry for everyday use, that special occasion, whatever it may be. Gentlemen, they've got amazing jewelry both for male and female. Everyone is their audience. You know, after years of experimenting with everything from ceramic jewelry, glass beads, and enamel, they've settled in on the ancient art of lost wax casting is their main form of creating their work. They cast everything in bronze, sterling silver, and 14-karat gold. Every step of the way is done here right in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Proud, proud sponsors of the Patty G Show, Mimosa Handcrafted Jewelers. Get out there and tell them that Patty G sent you, and they're going to take great care of you on your next one. So, John, before we get you out of here, we do have to ask you four questions we ask every guest. So the first one being, what is something you did as a kid you wish you could still do today?
1: Pick up basketball. You know, I, uh, number one, I don't have the time. Uh, Number two, my body would probably not react as as well. Um, But uh, yeah, just getting with your buds and and playing pick up basketball. That was a lot of fun as a kid.
0: Yeah, I was never,
1: basketball was never really my sport, Mm -hmm. but
0: sports in general, you know, being able to play with your friends in the backyard or at the neighborhood park is something that we kind of lose as we get
1: older. Yeah, and travel baseball too, dude. Like, Traveling around and playing baseball with your friends like, you know, four games in a day and you're dog tired. But man, it was awesome.
0: Yeah. I uh, was never a travel ball, but I see those kids and I'm like, I just don't. That's gotta be a lot of fun at that age. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so you've been in industry, you've been in public, and now you're an owner. What are three lessons you've learned along your way?
1: Man, um, I think number one is is the golden rule, you know, treat others how you want to be treated. Um, I think number two, you really have to be in tune with your ego, um, and understand, you know, that the thoughts in your head are not you. And, you know, when you get control of that, uh, you can lead yourself better and then you can lead your team better. Um, and then the third, you know, build the like I mentioned earlier, you know, he, he said it best that everything that you want is on the other side of fear. And, You know, for me, that was starting the business, that was getting involved in real estate, you know, that was going after a client who I knew was, was probably too big for us. And, um, you know, it's just a matter of, uh, you know, believing in yourself, believing in your processes and, uh, and just going after it. Yeah, absolutely. So what is something you love about Baton Rouge? Man, I think the opportunity, because, because, Like, I would say even personally, um, it's been easier than I thought to grow the business. It's part in part to the fact that, you know, the people here will be a fan and and tell others about, you know, the the firm and the vision and the product. Um, But I think we are in an area where it's easy for high achievers to get what they want. Um, in part, maybe because there's not a ton of us, uh, and, and that's probably an issue in itself. But for me, I mean, I'm, I'm talking to folks who I would have never thought even would have known my name at this point in my career. And, um, you know, I, 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 find that Baton Rouge is a place that is big enough to where you could really make, you know, a difference and make a good living and, 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 you know, provide a high level of service, but it's small enough to where you don't necessarily have to buy a bunch of marketing ads to, to get the word out. And, uh, so it's this nice niche of, of giving the, the right amount of, uh, of reward for, for risk.
0: Yeah. And if you're a high achiever and you want to do anything and everything you can to grow, there's so much opportunity here mm-hmm. within our own city, within our own state. You know, there's not feast or famine. It's feast or drown because there's so much work.
1: That's right. Yeah, man. It's, um, it, it's been great uh, to get in with the, the business owners of Baton Rouge. And uh, there's a lot of smart people around here. And, uh, you know, I think sometimes, you know, Baton Rouge isn't the most tech forward or, you know, the most cutting edge, ad- adapting new technologies. But I think there's a lot of people who work really hard. And there's a lot of people who will go to bat for you. And um, and honestly, like even bank relationships, you know? Like, there are so many awesome banks around here that will help you scale if you've got the right, you know, pieces of the puzzle together. And... Um, I just don't really feel like a larger market. You would you would get that same support.
0: Yeah, you'd almost be kind of lost in the sea of folks that are there, and here, it's quickly attainable to be somebody. Mm-hmm. You know that people like you said, they now know your name, and you've been in business for eighteen months. That's you know right. that stuff happens. It's possible here in Baton
1: Rouge. So, for the final question, man, what can I do to help you? Man, I think just get this podcast out, you know, uh, so often a lot of podcasts are built around the individual. You know, I think we talked a lot about the business, which is more important to me. And, um, you know, I, I think that you've had some amazing entrepreneurs come through here already. And, um, you know, just being able to be on the same platform is, is, is really, uh, humbling and, uh, it's exciting. And so, you know, the more this podcast gets out, the more the, the shorts get edited, the more I could share it, uh, you know, that that's going to be awesome. And what an awesome time capsule too. Oh yeah. You know, like we're going to look back on this, you know, we got a lot to <coughs> talk, a lot more to talk about. Uh, so, you know, in five years time when this is, you know, nationally syndicated, you know, bigger than Rogan. Oh yeah. Uh, no, but, um, you know, it, it'll be cool to look back at, at this point in our careers, and uh, at this point in Baton Rouge as well, it's a pivotal time.
0: It, it It is. It's an exciting time to see where things are going and to see how things are progressing. But that was like one of the main reasons to start. I was one of the reasons to start the show was to encapsulate that moment in time for that business, that owner, that person in the city mm-hmm. to see where we were and hopefully, you know, how far we've come and what how far those companies have come. You know, it's like, what we can do here is create and share a moment in time that will last and be around forever. Definitely. So, man, I appreciate your time and coming on the show today thank you. and sharing your stories. Yeah. Um, it's been a blast. It's always fun to sit around with another, uh, fellow accountant and CPA that's able to have a similar mindset and mentality. It's nice. It's refreshing.
1: Definitely. Agreed, man. It was great. Thanks for having me. So
0: thank you so much, John, for coming on and thank you, uh, everybody else for watching or listening to the show, whatever platform you consume us on. Look, Having a relationship, knowing your ABCs, your attorneys, your bankers, and your CPAs is more important now than ever, and COVID was proof of that. So if you don't already have a good working relationship with your CPA, you're looking for a new CPA, there's a lot of us in town, reach out to us. And like John said, not everybody's going to be the right fit. So find somebody that fits you for where you're at, what you're trying to do, It could be one of us. It could be neither of us. But find somebody that's going to fit you where you're at, fit your need, and really take you to where you want to go. So thank you all so very much for listening. This has been the latest episode of the Patty G Show. We're out. Thank you to our wonderful sponsor, Lake Men's Health Center with our Lady of the Lake Physicians group. Guys, I know it's tough to get out and go to the doctor. I know it's challenging to find time in our busy days, but I promise you signing up to be a part of this group with Dr. Curtis Chastain and Dr. Tyler Boudreaux. You won't regret it for several reasons, but most of those being the fact of the time it saves, where you're able to get in on the same day, get that appointment done, and spend that time you need to talk with them about what your health goals and concerns are, as well as ensuring that the financial investments you have, you will be able to live out and see those come to fruition. So if you're an investing guy you know all about and planning for the future and investing in the future, No other more important thing to invest in than your health. Make sure you go check them out. Our Lady of the Lake Physicians Group Men's Health Center and tell them Patty G sent you. McClave's Limited, a proud sponsor of the Patty G Show, has been serving the Baton Rouge area proudly for 40-plus years. Gentlemen and ladies, if you're shopping for your man, there is no other place in the Baton Rouge area to get your clothing, whether it's game day needs, everyday needs, business attire, formal attire whatever you want go over there see frank and ashley it's a father-daughter duo they do incredible things in their store they will outfit you from as simply a shirt thank that you, you to mercedes-benz of baton rouge for making this show possible nick pentis is a past guest we love having him on listening to him talk about the culture they have over at mercedes-benz of baton rouge is really an incredible thing to hear How they treat not only their employees, but every customer that walks through the door. You are more than just a number to them. They're going to give you that white glove, concierge service every step of the way. They're going to make you feel like family and take what can be a stressful time in people's life shopping for a car. They're going to make it so enjoyable and so pleasurable. You're going to want to go back there time and time again for every new vehicle. Thank you so very much for Mercedes-Benz of making this show possible.
3: (laughs) Yeah.